Hey, Chris. Hi. Hey, <laughs> a real voice. Like, we know you're there because we can see you singing. <laughs> uh, Will's entertaining me a lot. Oh my god, said nobody ever. <laughs> Hello, good evening, and welcome to episode 46 of Horde of Notions. I'm your host, Chris. With me tonight, we have the full quota of regular hosts. First of all, the Wyoming Whirlwind, uh, Dina. Hello, everybody. The man, the myth, the legend, three-legged whale. Konnichiwa. Konnichiwa. That's racist. Okay. And the foremost squirrel lover, Travis. Former squirrel lover? No, foremost. Oh, foremost. Oh, yeah, I can accept that. I heard former as well. Well, that means you're both dead. And joining us tonight, we have a special guest, uh, a very loyal listener and uh, fan of the cast. It's Rich. What it is? It's nothing. Pretty much. Yeah. It's just a bunch of dudes sitting around talking about magic with a chick. Wow, random. It happens at my FNM often enough. Really? You have women at your FNM? We have one person whose girlfriend comes every week, even though she rarely plays. Do you guys have okay. girls that play magic in Newfoundland? Well, we do. Do you have Some girls in the Finland? <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was just snow, ice, and polar bears. <laughs> no, that's <laughs> what they have for island. That's, that's, that's it's not cool. even manufactured ice. They need to bring icebergs over from uh, Greenland. Horde of Notions is brought to you each and every week by the fine folks at the legitmtg.com. Just got another order in the mail from them. Eggs is almost fully foiled out and ready to go just so that KYT can smack me in the face when I play him at GP Toronto and dominate him completely, which is absolutely going to happen. Uh, great prices and brand new, and this is, I'll call it an exclusive to Horde of Notions listeners, even though it might not be, but hey, this is the first you're hearing of this. Their free shipping on orders over $50 has been extended to anywhere in the world. If you live in Egypt, you get free shipping. If you live in Canada, you get free shipping. If you live in Burkina Faso, you get free shipping on orders over $50. So let's do a quick round table and see what people have been playing recently. Uh, let's start with the guest. Rich, what have you been playing? Uh, I was playing a blue-black um, Illusions deck that I got off um, Craig Wesco, which was pretty fun. But um, I bet I bet you that was funny. Sorry, carry on. Uh, after the, um, the last Friday, I just played um, a zombie pod deck, which I just loved. It's a, just a blast to play. Me and my buddy are just tweaking a little bit more to get rid of some of the jank that's in there, but it was just a blast to play. Are you splashing zombie white pod. for a restoration angel? Absolutely. Oh, uh, where man. did you get that list from? I did take your list, but I, I, I altered it a little bit. We added Massacre Worm because that was just a house all night. Okay, what did you take out for the massacre one? Um, Bo- um, Disciple of Bolas. Yeah, I can see that. I there was never a time I really felt like I had to cast it. Well, and it's fine in the sideboard. In the four drops, where like most of the time you're going for metamorph or you're going for angel because that's just where you want to be at. I was rarely going. Hmm, maybe I should pod for the disciple. So massacre worm was just there, and it won me multiple games. Yeah, it'll do that. Played the uh, zombie pod does some ridiculously powerful things. If I was able to play Delver, it's gonna um, pretty much the board was against me. He had 
just a bunch of timely tokens and blade splicers. I had a blood artist out, and I potted into mass, uh, hard-casted Massacre Worm, and he just looked and goes, I'm like, drain you for six, but you take 18? I was, he goes, and then he had, he had, I had two grave crawlers, and all he had left was the golems from the blade splicers. He goes, and that's game. <laughs> just defeat in his eyes. It was great. Oh, that's awesome. So I want to get a Massacre yeah. Current Worm altered with Blood Artist riding him. Oh! <laughs> Yeah, Massacre Worm is actually responsible for one of the biggest blowouts I ever had, where I was playing my black-green pod deck, and uh, I was playing against Delver, and I won the match in five minutes, because in game one I went turn three Massacre Worm when he had three Delvers on the board. And then uh, in game two I went turn four Elishnorn. So <laughs> it was pretty disgusting. Um, now, I'm more interested in this black-blue illusions list. Uh, talk to me about that. How did that work? Um, it was very. Um, your one drops were Jace's Phantasm, and then the Phantasmal Bear, and then you had the Lord of the Unreal, um, Snapcasters, and Phantasmal Image, and then you ran like Thought Scours, um, Nefalia Drownyard to get cards in the graveyard, and then it was I mean it was a very um, Delver shell. You had the Ponders, you had Labor Snags, and things like that to draw cards and give you kind of tempo them out and put cards in their graveyard. That way you can get out there and just slam face with uh, the uh, Jace's Phantasm. But I added in um, Jace's Memory Adept and just blew people out with that. Cause, uh, interesting. Because yeah. there would be so many times in the game that it was aggro, and if I wasn't winning right away, I'd change from aggro to defense to protect Jace while he just ran down their clock. One thing I tried, I tried to do something similar in Mono Blue with uh, Sword of Body in Mind on Invisible Stalker. That worked really well. That, yeah, that, that would work really well. Because um, the worst matchup I thought I had was Control Decks, like the, especially the white-black ones that are out there that just keep wiping boards. They have yeah. no response for a Jace. They have um, the uh, Lingering Souls, but um, I can either chump those or snag those away and just keep milling them out. Don't they play O-Ring, though? Not main. If they, at least, I didn't see them main. Okay. So, if they did, they never became from. But, I mean, I had Mana Leaks to get rid of, to counter the O-Rings, and when I became on the Jace plan, Mana Leaks were only there to protect the Jace. Sure. And what about stuff like uh, Sands of Delirium, Mind Sculpt, any of that? Did you try any of those? Mind Sculpt's in there. I, I ran two, which was pretty much mm -hmm. um, six with um, Snapcaster. Sure. So it, uh, Mind Sculpt was actually pretty helpful. I mean, I, w I won a game because I was able to, I had plenty of mana and I had Jace. I was able to activate Jace, cast um, Mind Sculpt, then ca um, put in the Snapcaster to um, do Mind Sculpt again and get rid of their library. So take out, you know, 20-some cards once in one turn was uh, pretty helpful. Sounds awesome. So it's pretty fast, but it can't handle a board of where they can out-creature you. Yeah. It's just too hard. So that's why I altered the deck to have Devastations tied in the side. Instead of Black Sun, really? Yeah, because I'd rather my creatures didn't die because everything's so cheap besides Jace. Nothing costs over two. So okay, I can, yeah. you know, hopefully miracle it, pay two on that, and then put my board back out there and then only lose yeah. a turn of attacking. 
I would imagine something like Elves is, is a pretty tough matchup then, because they can drop their board again Yep, straight away. Yeah, so it's stuff with heavy board, I still haven't really figured out how to get rid of it. Besides that, Elves doesn't have flyers, so it's really just a race. Right. Fair enough. It's really fun, but the best part is to lord, then image the lord, and then just keep swinging with those. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So, Adina, you played in a PTQ the other week, didn't you? I did. Uh, we drove up to Bo- uh, Bozeman, Montana, played in a, a PTQ up there, and then uh, this week I played in F&M, and uh, I've been playing Red Black Zombies. Oh, and I played in Game Day in between there. I feel like like every week we've, we've gone to some sort of uh, sanctioned tournament, which is a lot for me, and it's a lot of driving, but it's been a lot of fun, and I've, I've taken Red Black Zombies. Um, at the PTQ, I went 4-2, and two, and then Josh and I got paired, and we determined that the best thing to do would be to ID. Um, so we wound up placing 24th and 25th. And then we um, went to game day, and the first game day we went to, he came in first, I came in second. And the second game day, um, I came in second. So I won a couple play maps with, uh, with Black Red Zombies. And then this week, I actually won F&M. So that was pretty awesome. cool. Yeah, that's my first. Well, it's, it's not my first first place, but it's my first first place F&M. There was a, I, I forget, I think it was World Week, maybe, that I got first place in the um, the pre-release. But, yeah, this was my, my first big F&M. So, yeah, so I got, you know, they had they just started the new Planeswalker Awards things, the, the beta thing, where if you go onto the Planeswalker Points site, you look at it, and they've got these little awards. And there's an F&M one, and I got the F&M one because I won at least four matches at F&M's, so... Pretty cool. I have a little F&M badge now. Awesome. Yeah. So just standard Black Red Zombies, or did you make any changes to it? Um, you know, I'm not sure if it's the standard one. I I know I've kind of tweaked how many Falcon Wrath Aristocrats and Blood Artists and things like that. So I, I think some of the other lists might have, you know, might be running three or four or something like that. Um, I'd have to actually grab my deck list to see exactly what's there, but it's it's pretty much the basic one. I am running one bonfire and a lot of tragic slip and a bunch of brimstone volley, so it's it's that build. Oh, okay. How's brimstone volley been for you? Awesome, awesome. Yeah, yeah there was there was one game last night where at the end of turn I um, I had a mortar pod, and so I sacked the creature with the mortar pod so I could brimstone volley and then untap. Equip my other creature and brimstone volley and do the last ten damage to win. Yeah, that deck with brimstone can do some pretty stupid things. The only thing I've seen close to that is goblins. Uh, I wrote about it in one of my articles, but I saw a guy go from sixteen to zero in one turn. Yeah. Speaking so of your article, just... actually, it's funny because I read your article right before I went to F and M, and it references Mike Flores's article, which I also went back and I had read that before and I read it again about who's the beatdown. Yes. And my final matchup was actually with an Elves deck, and he thought he was the beatdown, and it lost him the game because he really should have been trying to play control, and he could have left back blockers, but he didn't because he was trying to swing in and kill. You know, he was trying to race me. Um, and it was, it was pretty funny because the whole game I was just thinking of that article and thinking he thinks he's the beatdown, and he's going to lose, <laughs> and he did um, pretty quickly, in fact. There you have it, listeners. Mike Flores' article is still relevant all these years after he wrote it. Definitely. And you'll make sure you know it. <laughs> yeah. 
He will, just like he will make sure you know that Naya Lightsaber is the best deck ever created, or was that Napster? I lose track of his bragging. But no, that article is actually timeless. Uh, I've read it multiple times, and uh, I try to live by it. Sometimes I even get it right, like when I'm playing against Solar Flare with a Blink deck, and I have to bring in creatures so that I don't die and forget that I paid three mana for an O-Ring four turns ago and make KYT laugh. <laughs> what? No, that didn't happen. Adina, how many red sources do you run in the zombie deck? Eight, and they're all... Is it four, yeah. four Black Cleaf Floor Dragon Skull? Yes, yeah. that's exactly right. No caverns? Uh, well, yeah, four caverns, which can be red sources depending on what creature type. What about um, Bonfire? Are you running any of those in there? I have one Bonfire, and I have one in the yeah. sideboard also. Something tells me, most decks, like, the deck I played on Friday uh, didn't run Bonfires, but there was a good reason for it. Pretty much any deck that runs red should be running Bonfire right now. That card is ridiculous. Uh, the only time it was bad was if it was in my opening hand. Uh, even then, against I, I some decks, it's not bad. Exactly. Against some decks, yeah, that's okay. But, you know, <laughs> most of the decks that it's okay against would be, like, Delver, where they would have a Mana League anyway. So if you're, you know, playing it for full price at, on turn three, they're probably going to counter it. Well, you know, there's also against elves. It's pretty good against elves, I hear. Yeah, I imagine it would have been, and I probably should have sided the other one in, um, but I actually wound up only siding in Phyrexian Metamorph against that deck. And actually, I don't even know if I did that. I might have sided in. I, I know I didn't side very much against him because I knew I, I needed to just win the race. And Phyrexian Metamorph against Elves? What were you hoping to copy? Something you had or one of their things? Oh, I'm sorry. Not Phyrexian Metamorph. Phyrexian Obliterator. Ah, ah okay. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, that's not what I meant to say. <laughs> yeah, no, no I, I, mean, I, I think I cited out the Metamorph, actually. Yeah, there was nothing to copy except for my own messengers, and um, I, I didn't really need to do that because I was already faster, so... So your weekly price check on Bonfire of the Damned, last time we uh, chatted, it was at $34.99. Bonfire of the Damned is now up to $42.99. The card is good. Yep. The card is oppressive. <laughs> I'm glad I have my playset. That's all I know. <laughs> yeah. I really can awesome. see it. I could see it hitting 50 60 bucks. Uh, $60 is a push. 50 yeah. If it hits 60 I'm cashing out. So, Travis, what have you been up to, magic-wise? Uh, standard, I've been playing Bant Pod, and Modern, I've still been playing Kiki Jiki. Is that the uh, the Cedric Phillips Bant Pod? Not exactly. I've been trying some things out. I'm running Silverblade Paladins right now. They've been really good. Okay, instead of what? I cashed out my uh, Phantasmal Images a few weeks ago. So I'm put those in in place of it. Okay, that's interesting. How's Thrag that been working? Double striking, double striking Thrag Tusk is very good. Double striking pretty much anything is very good. I, I'm dreaming of the day where I can pair a Silverblade Paladin with Gisela, actually. That's just gross. That seems, that seems like it might be something that would win a game or two. Like on the spot, right? Yeah, it, that's 20 damage. Say that again, Richmond. They have twenty life. They could have more. They could have um, rocks. They could have been playing practice. Fails. No, doesn't happen. Yeah. The so what has the, card, the other card I've been picking up lately for online? It's just been nuts. What's it up to on online now? Uh, I think I paid uh, eight for mine, seven or eight, somewhere in there. 
which okay. online is quite a bit for a rare and yeah, a mythic. Yeah, for sure. They're at eleven ninety nine right now in paper. So postpartum. I mean, they they could get up there fifteen to twenty. Um, Brad Nelson says he thinks it's going to be the premier card post-rotation unless Ravnica. Sure. I mean, I, I, I can definitely see that, especially if you're looking at um, things like Restoration Angel, which yes. is just crazy. Restoration Angel for Hexdesk is just crazy. I mean, if Populate is a real mechanic, then it'll work pretty well with uh, Thragtusk as well. Yes, it cool. means Token Lever at my heart hopes Populate is real. No, it, it, there are so many better things that you can do with tokens, though. Like, the majority of tokens are 1-1. One, one. How many 1-1s one, do you want to make? All of them? All of them? All of the 1-1s? One, All of the 1-1s. Mind you, there's nothing to stop them making a card that says populate, populate, populate. Or something like that. So you get three 1-1s? One, yeah. Unless you have, like, 2-2 two, two cats or something like that. Anyway, uh, how, has the modern metagame adjusted to Kiki-Jiki yet, or is it still pretty much the best deck? I think it's still pretty much the best deck. Um, I mean, people... It's not that it's unbeatable. I mean, you can beat it, but it attacks so many different ways that it, it's hard to really hate out. I mean, if you go, well, you can't Kiki-Jiki me out because I have a Torpor in play, then it will just beat you down with three powered dudes. Because yeah. Kitchen Fink's Restoration Angel are still big enough to take you down. Zealous Conscripts. Yep. I love Zealous Conscripts. It's probably my favorite card in the deck. That card is almost single-handedly responsible for changing my deck choice on Friday. I didn't because I just decided to play Face Shield in the board and hope that was going to be enough. Uh, but the card is just so scary. When I, when I played in uh, GP Columbus, it was probably the best card I had. Um, I've won at least three games solely off that card. I took an Eldrazi in 1-1. One, one. Um, I stole someone's Birthing Pod and comboed out with it once. I mean, it just, it's something a lot of people aren't prepared for in the metagame. And it's still only a $3 card. This is what I don't get. I know. I'm happy to have my foils. Well, they're, they're closer to 8 But, I mean, 3 bucks for possibly the biggest Trump card in the format. I mean, you know, yeah, sure, you can land an Elishnorn, but I can untap and take it very easily and then beat you down for 10. I think it's underplayed still for sure. I mean, yeah, I, I really want to just put in an, uh, a mountain or something in my band pod deck just to put in one Zealous Conscripts. Well, that's what the four-color pod decks are playing now, right? Like, four-color pod is the new thing in this. The, the red is for uh, Bonfire and Conscripts. I think some of them are playing Huntmaster, although that's starting to fall out of fashion now. I mean, remember when Huntmaster was almost a $30 card? <laughs> It's like yes. 17 now. I bought one when they were almost 20 Yeah, they're now $17. I mean, whoever saw that coming, right? All right, so I guess I'll talk about what I played. Uh, we've missed a week. So last the week before last at FNM, I took a sort of black-white, mid-rangey thing uh, that tried to sweep the board and then reanimated an LS Norn or a Grizzlebrand. Uh, unfortunately, my only discard mechanism was Trading Post, so it didn't actually work at all. It was terrible. I completely forgot that Liliana was a card, and I probably should have been playing at least two, maybe three of those. Probably. Smallpox. Uh, well, yeah, smallpox, possibly. Uh, the deck looked like it should be really powerful on paper, but, well, I was going to say magic isn't played on paper, but it actually is. 
it just it didn't do anything it was supposed to do, and I lost to people that I've never lost to before. So I was pretty down after that, but then game day happened, and I went back-to-back top eights with real deck, with a real deck on Saturday, and then a, what I thought was complete jank on Sunday. I played uh, Zombie Punt on the Saturday. I, it's it's not remotely fair when you go Jarrell's Messenger, pod it into Restoration Angel, blink your Messenger, and then next turn do it again, or even worse, get a Metamorph, copy your Jarrell's Messenger, sack the Metamorph, go and get a Restoration Angel, blink, the, uh, bring back the rest Metamorph as a Messenger, blink it, copy Birthing Pod, pod away oh, the Angel, go and get Thrag Tusk, so much value! All the value. It's crazy. All of the value, all of the life, all of the damage. And all the time, of course, you've got a Blood Artist in play. Then there's the play with um, Gravecrawler, any other zombie, and uh, Birthing Pod, where you just sack your Gravecrawler, go and get a Blood Artist, recast Gravecrawler, next turn, do it again, next turn, do it again, and then the last time you're going to get Bloodthrown Vampire and sack your board and kill him. Just ridiculous. Just so much nonsense that you can do. Birthing Pod is very just a house in that deck. Uh, it is. I I was never happy to have him more than one in the deck. I felt like it was sort of a, a one-of, go-get-it-kill condition. But I don't know, I, I didn't want... Like, the, the list I saw had three. I cut it to two, and I still ended up citing one of them out most of the time. Um, I cited him out if I needed, when I was getting rid of Pod, generally, because I, I wanted to bring in um, some Nighthawks. But the, that was doing really well for me, because I did uh, some shenanigans with Pod, and... Messenger, I got him down to two life, and my messenger still didn't have the plus one plus one counter, and I just sacked it to the blood throne. Just that whenever sack outlet's great for free. Yeah, I don't know. I guess maybe blood flow connoisseur would have been better for me, but that's at three, and you never really want to do anything at three except for messenger. So, or maybe nighthawk sometimes if you need to be gaining life, I guess. Or blade splicer. Yeah, that too. Although, a lot of the lists were only playing one. I was playing two main deck, and the card is really good, still. Two main deck, I think, is the right choice. Yeah. Then on Sunday, I played uh, blue-black architect. It was mostly blue. I splashed black for Tezzeret, because why not? Um, That was hilarious. The deck just... All of the worm coils, all of the time. Uh, Treasure maging for Mindslaver, and then Mindslaver locking people was even funnier. So, yeah, I I was really happy with that deck. It had absolutely no way to beat Wolfrun, uh, which I faced in round one. And it had a very bad matchup against red-green aggro, which would have been my top eight matchup. Well, it would have been my top four matchup. So I scooped the uh, uh, green player into the top four because I I thought he had a chance of actually winning that. He still lost, but at least he had a better chance than I did. So the you, you deck, like yeah, to play like, eggs, you like to mind slaver lock people, do you just like being a big D-bag? Uh, no, yeah, I guess you could say that. <laughs> Not really, sometimes I do. I, I think it was because I podcasted with Jack for 40-odd episodes, it turned me into a troll when I'm playing standard. I don't do it in EDH, because I don't think that sort of thing belongs in that format. But um, See, whereas EDH that, is the one format where I love to troll. I like when to I'm playing troll decks. When I played that uh, that Unwinding Clock Tezzeret build, and I went, I think, 4-1 and one on that FNM, the majority of my wins were to people scooping. 
because they just didn't want to face the freaking pristine talismans untapping every turn and gaining me stupid life and all of the proliferate tumble magnet shenanigans that were going on. And the kill in that deck was just really slow anyway, so I really enjoyed playing that. Plus I had Tamiya to tap shit down, like, to tap stuff down, like, who, uh, who really wants to play that? And then Friday, I finally did it. I finally played a Gisela deck. Yay. And it was glorious. I lost the first round on a misplay. Okay, so, let me talk this, talk you through this. You are facing down, uh, a single Viridian Emissary and a Lanawar Elf, and your opponent has six lands in play. He has one card in hand, so you're pretty sure that that card is Crater Hoof Behemoth, because he's playing Elves, right? You have four mana. You have all of your colors. You're playing white, red, black. In hand, you have Day of Judgment. You have an Unburial Rites in the Graveyard, along with a Shieldred and a Gisela. So you're on one life. You have two Lingering Souls tokens in play. What is the correct play? Day of Judgment? What do you think? Shieldred. Bring back Shieldred. Okay. What do you think, Well, He has six lands in play. Six lands, Lanoir Elf, Viridian Emissary. Right. So if you Day of Judgment, then he gets an extra land, and then if he top takes the land, plays Crater with Behemoth, you're dead. Correct. So that would probably not be the best play. I would go for the uh, Elishorn. There was no Elishorn. Gisela and Shieldred oh, in the graveyard. Oh, sorry. My bad. Yeah, but if he uh, top decks a land with the Lanowar Elf in play, he still gets the Behemoth. Maybe entering the scoop phase would be the correct play. Well, no, because he still has to top deck the land regardless. So what do you think? So what would you do, Will? Would you go for the Shieldred, the Gisela? Would you day? I think in all the situations, if you top decks a land, you're dead. So I think you'd probably just go for the Gisela, because that he's at what life? Uh, irrelevant. I can't remember. I was at one. Because Shieldred gets you the Giselle of the turn after. I guess you'd go with the Shieldred. Because, like, okay. if he can cast Crater Hood Behemoth, you're dead. Right. So, if you go for the Shieldred, because Gisela or Shieldred, it's your end day of judgment, you're all dead if he can cast the card in his hand. So, if you go. Shieldred, you're dead, period. Because he goes, he sacrifices his emissary, and gets a land. And then but the land comes you get play tapped. Oh, that's true. I'd go with the Shieldred, because that way, if he doesn't kill you on the next turn with the Behemoth, then you, you can, he sacks a dude, but you get back your Gisela. Well, the, but if, you're, if you go for either Shieldred or Gisela, and he has anything at all, you're going to be forced to play the Wrath or the Day of Judgment next turn to stay alive. So why don't just go ahead and play it now? Hope he doesn't top deck the land and then play it out. What well, no, but if, if you have, if you get if you then get Gisela in play, she can take down the Behemoth if he didn't top decks it. Yeah, but the answer is I believe he was on a low enough life that if I survived the turn, he was dead the next turn. Then his life so, wasn't irrelevant, was it? Well, I think it was something like eight or something. Anyway, here's here's what happened. I went with Day of Judgment, because I figured the next turn, if he didn't top deck the land, I reanimate Shieldred, he has an empty board, so anything he plays dies straight away. Even if he gets the, the land and a behemoth, uh, I have Shieldred, like, 
there's no contest. So I cast Day of Judgment, he untaps, gets the land, and kills me. Well, in that case, with him having the land on top, you die anyway. Well, he shuffled, so it didn't matter. But no, yeah, Gisela would have been the correct play. Because with Gisela, I have the two souls tokens, so he gets the behemoth and attacks. Gisela takes out the behemoth, the souls block, and because the damage gets halved, I survive. All those creatures are going to be 4-4s, four though. Because they're well, each going to get plus 3, plus 3 when the thing comes in. So the souls token blocking the the one one and the five what would be the, still, the four four die. and the five four we still you tap, die. You tap the line of world for mana right, but the Verinum emissary uh, but the uh, emissary is attacking and it's a five four. Right. So you double block that. It deals two damage when it attacks because it prevents half the damage rounded yeah. up. So it deals two damage. You double block it with the two souls. So it deals two damage to each of the tokens and you take one. No, it doesn't deal two damage to each of the tokens. It deals two damage total. Like he has to assign lethal to each one, right? So he assigns one damage to each of those, which gets prevented. But oh, the, shit, the yeah, that's thing right. thing is, he oh, gets to assign it before it's half, because if so, he can assign one to each of them and two to oh. you. It's all half, yeah. and you take the damage and die. The, the, the having doesn't work. They have to assign the actual what will kill it. Not yeah, the so they assign one to each of the spirits, and then the three to me, which then gets down to one, so yeah, I die anyway. But either way, it, so it's rounded up. Even if he deals you one damage, you, like, it's not No, it's down. not. It's not. It's prevented. The prevention is rounded up. So it prevents half the damage. It doesn't have the, the power of the creature. It just says when it's dealt, the damage is dealt, it's just dealt in half. So, I mean, he would still deal one to each token, and then unless he doesn't know what he's doing, he's deal one to each of them and then kill you. Right, yeah, I would still die. So there was no way for me to survive the event that he top-decked the land. So it's it's not a real misplay, I guess. Well, hang on. If I do play Shieldred, he has to still tap the Lanawa. So he would only have been able to attack with the Behemoth, which would have been a 6-7. or seven, seven. See, I still would have died. No, because I would have had the two spirits. So I block, I block with everything. He kills Shieldred and one of the spirits, I kill his behemoth, and then I untap and I have another turn. But you don't have anything in the other line of worlds. So you have the Day of Judgment right, in the I, line of worlds. I still, have, I still have a spirit. Isn't Children a 5-5? Five five? No, 6-6. Six, six. Six. Oh, so I have a spirit to his Lanawar elf, and he's no, he has no cards at hand, and his only crater hook behemoth in the deck is gone. So yeah, Shieldred was the correct play. But I Day of Judgment, because I figured, like, well, he has to top deck the land... And the deck only plays like 18 or 19, and he's got 6 in play, plus he'll have to get another one, so he'll have like a, a 12 in 40 chance of doing it. And he hit it, so. But, eh. Then I lost to Tezzeret because it plays main deck Graveyard Hate and has even more in the sideboard. It turns out it's pretty hard to beat when you're a reanimator deck. But then I won out. Uh, <laughs> had the sweetest play of the night when I mulled to 4 against Pure Steel. He has Pure Steel Paladin... Geistercent Traft, and a Sword of War and Peace that is not equipped yet. I have in my hand a um, f- uh, Unburial Rites. I have a Gisela in the Graveyard. And I top deck Faithless Looting, cast Faithless Looting, draw Slagstorm and another card 
discard the Giselle and, and the Umburial rights, or discard the, I think it was Elishnorn and Umburial rights, lay the land, slagstorm away his board, the next turn untap, reanimate Gisela, and he couldn't recover from there. Just so lucky. That's, what, that's when you have powerful cards in your deck. It enables top decks like that, I guess. Yeah, that deck was great fun, and you should be able to read about it probably today or tomorrow on Mana Deprived when the article goes up. So, news. Uh, World Magic Cup is this weekend. And, uh, of course, Will and I are severely rooting for Canada, as our friend Alex Hayne is captaining the team. Who else is on the team, Will? Severely? Shut up. There is uh, <laughs> Mr. Lucas Yeah. There is a... Runner-up uh, runner from Grand Prix Columbus. Right. right. There is a Mr. Mark Anderson. Top 25 at Worlds 2011. Uh, 2011 national champion, first. And then, I believe he was higher than top 25. Well, he was top well, 25. He was top 25, and then he, I believe he did better than that. And the final person uh, who... I play with him regularly because he plays around Montreal, but most people don't know him, is uh, Jamie Blanchette, who around here is actually quite successful when it comes to tournaments and tournaments of uh, some magnitude. Like, whenever uh, whenever there's uh, qualifiers for pretty much any event, uh, he's generally within uh, the top eight, uh, within striking distance of the top eight. So he's uh, going to be someone that uh, most people are going to be like, oh, well, you know, you have... A Pro Tour champion, you have Lucas Ia, who's known, and you have Mark Anderson, who's, and they're like, wait, this guy's actually, you know, pulling his weight and uh, doing what he needs to do. So it, it should be exciting to watch. So that's uh, Team Canada. The Team US is the one that everybody's buzzing about, of course, because it's got two of the greatest active players around right now in Kibler and LSV, and then two people that practically no one's ever heard of. Uh, who else would you guys consider to be favorites, apart from the U.S. and Canada? Uh, Adina, who, have you, who do you think is going to do well? Uh, Japan. So Team Japan is always pretty powerful. So Team Japan uh, is Yuya Watanabe is the captain. You've got Akira yeah. Tanaka, Sunao Nakai, and Yuda Takahashi. Only one household name on there in Watanabe, but they always seem to surprise you. Well, I think what's the Japanese... Uh, well, this team and like throughout, say, the recent history of Magic is they're very good. Like, there's never been, say, an ego that's involved. They're essentially like we're all from the same country. We're all going to help each other because our goal is, you know, to win uh, to win a certain event for, you know, like yes, it's a nice individual prize, but you know, it's nice to say Japan won this or Japan won that. So. Yeah. They're very good at working together, and when they had their string of, uh, you know, players of the year or whatnot, like, all of them were good buddies. All of them worked together on, you know, decks, and it could have easily been, like, you know, one could have won, the other could have won. They were very, like, uh, it would say interchangeable, their wins, because each one, you know, they're like, instead of having people that are superior and people that are inferior, we're going to try and bring everyone up to the same level. Like, obviously, if you look at Watanabe and some of the other known ones, like, they maybe, say, have a better uh, skill set that they've been given, but they try and uh, feed that off to everyone else that's involved. Yes, very true. And let's not forget that they are the defending world team champions and the last of world team champions. It helps. What about England with Richard Bland and Kerry Oliver? 
Yeah, that's a team that I think a lot of people are sleeping on. Uh, Richard Bland and Carrie Oliver are both Pro Tour competitors. Carrie hasn't been playing very long, but in the time she has been playing, she's got very good. Uh, Richard Bland had some success at Worlds. He came second. I don't know how good he is t- from a technical point of view. I do know that uh, Marco Orsini-Jones plays a lot on Moto. He's one of the Moto ringers. I've played against him a couple of times uh, when I used to live there, and he was very good then, so God knows how good he is now. I don't know Manvia Samra. That's not a name I'm familiar with. Uh, I'm sure that uh, Richard Hagon could tell us a thing or two about him. But, yeah, I think the English team uh, has the potential to surprise some people. Travis, what do you think? Well, you can't count out Brazil or the Czech Republic because any team with Paulo or uh, Martin Jews are, are going to be good. Very true. And I think Belgium is, is another team that uh, that some of the, the people in the know are talking about. Uh, the two at the front of the team, uh, with Vincent Lemoyne and, and Marijn Leibert, are both very, very strong players, both Pro Tour regulars. And uh, so, th- like the U.S., they've got half a team made up of Pro Tour consistent players. Is, uh, isn't Jelger Wiedersma from Belgium as well? No, I think he's Dutch. Dutch, I believe. Uh, what is it? What's that? Yeah, team? Netherlands. Yeah, and there's no one else on that team whose name I have n- heard of, and only one who's I'm confident I could pronounce correctly. I <laughs> Bart, Bart Van Etten. But what, what's going to be interesting though about this is because the team start off at four and then they go into three. So one of the players is eliminated and is essentially going to be say a coach for that team. Yes. So what's going to be interesting to see is like the strategy that becomes that comes involved, like, with, uh, say, the USA or, say, someone like uh, Belgium that has two very strong players. Uh, so, obviously, you know, you want, say, both of them to be still playing, but they may come to a situation where they're, like, where they see, you know, uh, in the rankings, you know, they're, like, say, going to make the cut or not quite sure, where they could, say, decide, you know, okay, all essentially kind of, quote-unquote, fall off. So then that way I can be the coach for like the other two, say, weaker links on the team. Yeah, and that's, that's an interesting strategic choice. I mean, if you're the U.S., do you risk dropping LSV or Kibler so that... Because you can all help each other anyway, like team trios and team, uh, team events, you can all coach each other. But if you have, it does slow down that player and distract them. So if you can have your best player able to help out the two who aren't necessarily up to snuff, I mean, neither Kibler nor LSV probably needs much coaching, but we don't know the other two people on the the U.S. team. I mean, I don't think I've ever heard any of them being talked about, even now, by the pros in the States. Uh, Alex Binek and Joey Panaccio are the other two members. And they're they're not being spoken about by anybody, really. Can we just call him Pinocchio? No, no, we can't, because that's not his name, and that's rude. <laughs> so let's see, what have we got? Who else looks interesting? Uh, Matt Maher is the Thailand team captain. Sweden's got Denise Rashad, or Rashid. Rashid, yeah, and uh, Lindstrom, I think, has played a little bit. Uh, you've got uh, Gaudanis is the Lithuania captain. He's pretty good at the magical gatherings. Though, if he happens to be the coach of the Lithuanian team, that is going to be some very slow matches on day two. (laughs) And then you've got uh, Italy with Samuele Estrade, who uh, apparently is a lot better than anyone ever gave him credit for. So it's definitely going to be very interesting. I'm looking forward to see how this all plays out. The French have Rafael Levy. 
Yeah, he's also pretty good at magic. Yeah, you see, he, he, he does he's all right. right. I think I've heard he's of him. A couple of yeah, maybe. Uh, I think you think of someone else. Yeah, they could have had uh, one of the Wafo. They could have had Wafo Tapa or Matignon as well, but um, they're too busy playing New Phyrexia. <laughs> when does that so expire? Also, by the way, uh, I think one of them is unbanned already. Yeah, one of them's up, but it was after the uh, WMCQs. So, it, yeah, and like Saito's back too, and Edgar Flores is back. Bertoncini is almost back. They have unbanned. Luca Florent and uh, that Jack, Dr. Eight side's jack of all trades. So I guess some of the, the spate of bannings for people not being nice is starting to fall away. So also at Gen Con, this will be happening at Gen Con, also at Gen Con is the first and actual last FNM championships. Uh, there's 500 people from around the world have been invited to this, uh, including two people from the Magic Twitter community, uh, Louis Acosta, also known as Oran Alchemist on Twitter, uh, is going for sure. And I know Cardboard Witch, uh, Nina from Toronto, she qualified. I don't know if she is actually going or not. I'm going to say not. Uh, but that should be also interesting to see how that plays out. There are no known pros on the list, so it's going to be really uh, fascinating to see who wins that event. Wait, I'm confused. How does this FNM thing work? So you had to be one of the top five points getters in FNMs for a full year. Or top 500, oh, sorry. Oh, never mind. Sorry, it's because I was looking on the Planeswalker points page, but I didn't put the filter. I just had all time and not, like, okay. Yeah, so are they? I know Nina was playing three FNMs a week when there were still three times multipliers, yeah. so it's not difficult to see how she qualified. And Lewis just didn't lose, so... <laughs> okay. No, it's because I had, like, the wrong uh, settings on, and, like, there were known people on the list, and I was like, that doesn't make any sense. I'm sure Chris would have realized they were there. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. So, I'm, I'm really interested to see how that plays out, and also to see if they actually give it any coverage time, because uh, I'm pretty sure it'll be playing out at the same time, or close to the same time, as the World Magic Cup uh, at Gen Con, so... They might give us some updates on it or some, you know, some sort of coverage of maybe the top eight or something. We'll have to see how it goes. There, there will be, like, there's probably going to be written coverage. Wizards is pretty good at providing written coverage for most of these events, but I highly doubt any of them are going to end up on camera because they're not, uh, quote-unquote, big draws. Unless they do what they did with the mocks and just put, like, the finals on there. Although, remember how bad watching the World Mox Championships <laughs> was on the stream? It's like, yay, let's watch two people on a computer! Woo! Uh, I felt bad for the commentators. Like, they really tried hard to, like, make it relevant, but even you could tell even them were just kind of, they were just kind of like, meh. Yeah, it, it wasn't good. So Star City, Kansas City was this weekend. Uh, the standard tournament was won by... Blue White Delver. It says Blue White Talrand on the list, but it's Blue White Delver. Are there Talrands? There are Talrands. There are also Delvers. No, I, I just wanted to make sure there are Talrands. Well, I mean, there are two. Tr- I think, I think, yeah, exactly. So there's four Delvers and two Talrands, but it's a Talrand deck. Derp. You know what it is. They just wanted to make it look like Delver isn't winning everything, so they changed the deck name. Yeah, because Talran doesn't have anything to do with instants or sorceries. Well, he does, but there's only two of them. 
He is legendary. I mean, you don't want that many. Oh, yeah, but he's sure. a 2 that dies to everything. Doesn't die to gut shot. And he is quite the lightning rod. He also trolls really hard. Like, oh, look, I got a mana leak. Oh, and I got a 2-2 dude. <laughs> yeah. Like, he's Delver, but, like, making additional Delvers each turn. For him, I don't think... I think two's too little, but I think four's too many. I think three is the correct number to play a tower in a deck. I just think how fun it's going to be when they print a counterspell with Populate and Ravnica with Towerain. I may have to kill you. That's all. I may have to kill you. That's it. Way to make the new Delver possible. Also, they can't because Populate is a Celestia ability. Hey, why just had counterspells? If it's real. Yes, White has had counterspells. Lapse of Certainty. Manatide. I'd really like it if they reprinted that. Oh, Manatide. Yeah. yeah. With, with, with Populate on top of it. That's just like, you're going to make people <laughs> rage even harder. People <laughs> raged enough when I play Lapse of Certainty or Manatide against them. I can only imagine a card that also says, oh, you get a dude, by the way. <laughs> you mad, bro? <laughs> <laughs> like Talrand, Lapse of Certainty, I get a dude, I populate that dude, uh, oh, you get to draw your spell again next turn. Oh, it's a creature? Okay, yeah, it resolves. Unsummon. Oh, I get another dude? Seems fine. Kill you. Yeah, yeah that sounds like a deck I wouldn't want to play against. So, given that the Talrand deck has absolutely no innovations in it whatsoever, and you could probably build it in your sleep. It has Talrand in it. That's a slight innovation from just the stocked over lists. Yeah, playing Talrand in a deck called UW Talrand is a definite innovation, you muppet. My goodness, Mono Green Infect came second. Uh, I don't like the Mono Green version of this. It's fast. It makes me really really happy that it came in second. I mean, it makes me really happy that it made made it all the way to second. I would have liked to see it take first. Actually, it's very near, near and dear to my heart, the Infect deck. So the big addi- addition to this, apart from Rancor, has been Cathedral of War, uh, which just is an automatic and uncounterable boost every time you attack with one of your Infect dudes. Do most of the uh, Infect decks now are in the full set of Apostle's Blessing? Yeah, well, I've, I've always thought that was the correct play anyway. I, I knew mean, most of them it, ran. I didn't think they ran the full set. Yeah, uh, well... I mean, technically, the moment there's only are, 12 creatures in the deck. Yeah, this one's really light on creatures. And it has... Is this the one with the four... Yeah, four Viridian Corruptor in the board. Um, they are really useful against stuff like uh, Curse of Death's Hold, because they survive one. Uh, I don't know about Who's that if you don't have... Now? Well, if this deck takes off, a lot of people will be. Seems like the Mono Black uh, Trading Post decks do, which are just yeah. gross. And I think with Nyapod and Bantpod and Elves being decks, like, Curse seems like it could actually do a lot of work if you can get it out early enough. Yeah, the thing is you have to get it out turn five. Like, against this deck, Mono Green, if the green deck isn't won by turn five, they're probably not going to win in general. Well, Mono Black is normally playing an Accelerant on turn two or three, so they can get it out turn four. And if that, that's if they haven't mutilated on turn four. Right, and I mean, a mutilate for three is going to severely slow down the elf deck. But yeah, you know, I, I mean, I, I just really like Blighted Agent in the deck, and that's why I'm not terribly happy with this version. I always thought Blighted Agent made the deck very good, but I guess if you're playing Gut Shots and Apostles Blessing, you can get through a lot of blockers. 
know, I like the amount of green better because it's easier to fix your mana, especially considering you don't run a lot of lands, and they're not all colored lands. It's better to be able to cast all your spells right on turn than worry about the whether you have the blue or not. See, I never had a problem with my mana in the blue-green version, so... I, I know a lot of people said that they did, but I guess I just got lucky, maybe. You know, there's always variants. How does this, but deck, I, beat a, how does this deck beat a resolve Malira? It doesn't, unless it gets double gut shot. That's about it. That is the only way. At least a main board, um, they got um, Dismember in the side, so game two. Oh, yeah. Most likely you're siding in Malira, and if... They probably would side, maybe side in Dismember, depending on what you showed them in game one. Yeah, and I, one thing I've discovered about Malira is it's also really good against Black Sun Zenith. I completely forgot about that. Uh, yeah, Malira's a, a problem. A bigger problem uh, than Malira is just any deck that can prevent combat damage or that can throw a blocker in the way. One thing people don't know yet about the Infect deck, the way to beat it is to use your removal at sorcery speed, especially if there's a wild defiance out. Because if you cast, if there's a Glistener Elf attacking you and you Doomblade it, and th they have the Apostle's Blessing, well, you've just shot yourself in the foot. If you use it at sorcery speed, sure, they can still protect it, but at least that pump isn't coming into your face. Yeah, I think shoot your, it'd be more like shooting yourself in the head, not the foot. Well, fair enough. Mm. <laughs> but that, there's, there's a definite strategy to playing against Infect, and that is making sure that you don't try, unless you have no choice. Obviously, if you have no choice, that's something different. But if you can avoid it, don't use your removal when they're attacking you because you could just walk straight into more problems. So you've, you've played something similar to this, Adina, as well, haven't you? I played uh, the blue-green, in fact, is what I was playing. So yeah. that's a little different. I mean, it, it worked really well for me at, at an FNM. Um, I just kind of pounded face with it until I hit the mirror match, and then I didn't do so well. You lose the dice roll, you lose the game. That's kind of how it works with the mirror match. But, uh, yeah, and then I just wound up playing defense, and I didn't, you know, it's, I was playing with no removal whatsoever. I was playing about, I think, 16 creatures, 16 pump spells, and then Wild Defiance and uh, um, Live Wire Lash. Okay, yeah. So, yeah the Live Wire Lash was good because it gave me a reach. And I, I played the deck online against somebody who was playing kind of the miracle deck, and uh, that let me swing it. Like he was, he was using Tamio to keep me tapped down, but I would just hit, you know, hit a pump spell or whatever, and just be like, okay, well, I'll just use that and do two damage to you. And here's two more, and here's two more, and oh, too late, you're dead. <laughs> I also found uh, spell skype was really useful in the deck. Yeah, I don't have spell skites in mine, but I noticed that he had those in his, and that's that's really good because it just takes away, it, it protects your dudes, and, and that's really the important thing is to protect protect your dudes. Also, with wild defiance out, it gives you a, another way to kill stuff but, mm -hmm. or kill players. But yep, that's yeah, not bad. There's uh, Wolf on Blue is back in the top eight. That's the reduke list. It's almost identical to his, I believe. Uh, any deck that plays Temporal Mastery is going to catch my attention. There's also a Zombie Pod. Let's have a look at this. Uh, oh, it's a blue-black version with a single Thrag Tusk. Seems like some people caught on to that, despite a lot of people saying, oh, you don't want to stretch your mana that much. You actually do. Uh, why is it blue instead of white? The only thing you get from blue is Phantasmal Image. I think people prefer um, the Illusion combinations over the um, Angel. 
Mm, why, though? Because, I mean, yeah, you can put a, graf- a grave crawler into a phantasmal image. That's something you can do, but... Which reminds me, something else I forgot about the mono green infect deck. Did you notice the singleton diagraph escort in the sideboard? I did see that. <laughs> that seems awesome. It's just like, I don't care about those zombies. Die. Uh, apart from that, there's just, this, this top 16 is just not impressive. There's a whole bunch of Wolf Run Blue and Delva further down the list. It looks like the awesome. same thing we've been seeing for months. Well, Bampod has made a, a heavy showing. I guess a lot of people are paying attention to Cedric Phillips. Which I'm not saying is a bad thing. You got the Esper mid-range and then the Solar Flare, which is a little surprising that they're both making it as far as they are. What is the difference between those two decks? I think Solar Flare is a little more focused on reanimating still. Then the Esper mid-range pretty much drops like Lillian entirely. Because I know that the, the version Joe Bernal was playing had uh, Intangible Virtue. So that's kind of not really Esper mid-range, it's more like Esper tokens. She's got Blade Splicer and uh, Forbidden... No, not Forbidden Alchemy. Well, it does have that, but Lingering Souls and Intangible Virtue. But like, Esper Midrange, to me, the versions that most people were running were just uh, Solar Flex. They had Sun Titan and Intangible Virtue. This doesn't have Sun Titan at all. So This Solar Flare is pretty interesting with the three Agro Bolases. Wow. Which one is that? The 13th place? Yeah. I mean, okay. especially with, you know, the bow, I mean, they're still on the, you know, Elish Norn and then the one on Burial Rites. So I think Solar Flare's still on the reanimating plan. They're just not running as many um, reanimating spells. And they're only running, running one target. So it's pretty much, they're playing the stall game until they can make Elish Norn hit the floor. Whereas Solar Flare has more kills. Because uh, this Solar Flare is not even running... Oh, no, it is doing the image, so they can still do the image Titan kill. Which is plenty most of the time. That combo is its really hard to overcome. Like you have to kill the actual Titan, otherwise it makes no sense. I mean, sure, the images are easy to off, but unless you can actually kill the Titan itself, it's just going to happen again the next turn. All right, so that's Star City. Nothing really uh, interesting there. Who did I forget for FNM? Uh, Shaheen Sarani. What about him? Did he qualify? He did qualify. Oh, he is number, if you want the exact number, uh, he is number 260, tied with Rene Alvarez. I don't know who that is, though. Interesting. I don't know if he's going, but that's pretty cool. Okay, so Shaheen Sarani is automatically the favorite in the FNN Championship. Yeah, he was, uh, I remember he, uh, he was the one that was, like, first in the lead, because when they first announced it, they had FNMs at the GPs. Yep. So he, and he, I think, went to, like, the first three GPs that had uh, those FNMs. So he got massive Planeswalker points for uh, participation. Yeah, because they were five, they're five times and not three. Yep. I used to play in those. Well, I do. Whenever I go to a GP, I, oh, I always make sure I get off my shift Friday in time to play in that event. Because it's just so much fun. You get, like, 200-person FNM. When has anybody ever been to one of those outside of a GP? Well, here in Wyoming, they have them all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Confirm or deny, Adina. Very funny. Yeah. <laughs> oh, like per month, I meant, though. 200 per month? We don't get that. Or maybe we do. No, I meant 200 yeah. people. Well, that's still 50 people per week. That's a big effort, Em. Uh, no, I meant in all of Wyoming. <laughs> I mean, that, that actually sounds a little bit more, more possible. Because, I mean, I have to go to Idaho, so I don't even really count towards Wyoming because I have to, I have to leave the state to compete. <laughs> um, 
But, you know, I, I could drive two hours to Idaho or five hours to Casper, and, uh, yeah, that's a little bit of a drive for an FM. But they do, yeah, Casper, Cheyenne, Laramie, they've got FMs every week. What? So when you play states, what state do you play in? Uh, this year I went to uh, Casper. So we did. We drove five hours over to Casper. I went with Cooper and Kyle and my friend Carson. Oh, everybody plays. Everybody that plays Magic here has like names with C. It's pretty interesting. Uh, Kyle starts with a K. Nah, whatever. <laughs> and my um, last name starts with a C, so you know. It's kind of... I was about to say, I was like, your name's not Kadina. <laughs> <laughs> It is now. Yeah. It, it, <laughs> oh, dear goodness. <laughs> is Yellowstone in Wyoming? Just randomly asking. Yes, most of it, yes. So you are in the same state as Old Faithful? That's cool. Yes. Old Faithful is in Wyoming. Like my The the actual park boundary spreads a little bit over into Montana, but, uh, but most of the park Sh- is actually located within Wyoming. Shout out to John Lauks. Totally. Okay, uh, let's move on to Gavin's challenge for the week. For those of you new to the cast, Gavin Verhey every week puts a challenge in his article uh, to build a deck based around restrictions that he gives you. And this week his restriction is just to build a modern deck. And Travis, once again, being our resident modern expert, has an idea. Travis, enlighten us. What are we brewing this week? Uh, it's a zombies build that uses uh, black and white um, with Dark Confidant as the non-zombie inclusion just because it rocks faces and a heavy discard theme. All right. Are we playing Blood Artist? Not currently. Okay. So what is what is the basis of this deck? What have you got so far? So far, the basis starts out with four Thoughtseize um, and a couple of Inquisition of Kozilek. Both of those seem to be pretty uh, needed for anything black because there's so many combo decks in the format that you've got to be able to attack them proactively. Um, it has a full play set of Path to Exile, but I could see that maybe cutting one or even two. Um, it is the premier removal spell in the format, though. And then it starts going the zombie aggro plan. I've got a full set of Diagraph Ghoul, a full set of Gravecrawler, a full set of Tide of Hollow Sculler, which complements the Thoughtseize with uh, the additional discard. Um, Dark Confidant, I'm running Bad Moon, and so far it's been really good at just uh, ending the game pretty quick once it hits play. Withered Wretch in the main to fight a lot of the combo decks. Um, I was running a Singleton Gatekeeper of Malakir, but I'm not sure if that's really needs to stay. Gerald's Messenger, and then I was also running uh, a couple of Profane Command. Profane Command, really? It's another great way to end it quick. If you've got two or three zombies out, um, just to give them all uh, fear, not much can block them in the format. There's not a lot of black creatures. Okay, yeah, that's interesting. Isn't there a zombie lord that gives all zombies fear? Um, I don't think there's one that gives them all fear. To the uh, gatherer, I go. What's the mana base look like? Like, how many white sources are we running? One plains, four marsh flats, four goblet shrines. Uh, some Cavern of Souls, because Zombie on Cavern of Souls will let you play the Skullers. Um, and you're only running, at most, eight cards that use white, so I really haven't had any problems. If you need to, you could also dip into Caves, caves of Coilos. Well, I was also just wondering if maybe the adding Restoration Angel is worth it at all. But, if, I mean, how many Messengers? The full playset. Well, 
Yeah. Hopefully that's it. I think if that's um, the only also, thing that's I'm running, worth um, blinking. Uh, Urgborg, Tomb of Jogmoth, and Mutavolt. Mutavolt's a great way to keep those grave callers coming back. Corrupt? I only run 22 lands right now, so I didn't think there'd be enough for Corrupt. Okay. I've yeah, also thought about Graveborn Muse. That's the one that lets you draw cards equal to the number of zombies you control, you lose that much life, right? That's right. Mm. But if it survives one turn and you draw three cards, you're more than happy to let it die. Well, it's two big ifs, especially with the speed of this format. I don't really want to be losing life any more than we have to. Well, that's especially the thing with format, though. Most of the decks that are going to kill you are going to do it in one shot. Uh, except for the th- stuff like Affinity and you know, the Burn decks and stuff like that, right? I mean, I yes, combo. Burn very much. Burn would Burn would probably be a very weak spot for this deck. I'm just looking through uh, Magic Cards.info and seeing what we can find. There is There's no zombie lore though that gives uh, fear. There's a Fright Shard Courier from Onslaught that two and a black tap it. Target zombie gets plus two plus two and has fear for as long as it remains tapped. But there's no zombie lore that provides fear. There's one that provides death touch. Yes, that's uh, Death Baron. And the, I was thinking Lord of the Undead. What, that gives regeneration, though, right? It lets you return a zombie from your graveyard to your hand. Okay. What gives regeneration? Zombie Master, maybe? Yeah, the uh, the original zombie one, which is Zombie Master, yeah. I believe. So what else is... Oh, man, Geth is a zombie. I really want him to be good. He isn't, though. This started out just as a mono-black deck, and then it picked up the zombie sub-theme, and there are just enough good zombies to make it feature good zombies. Uh, between the Grave Crawler, the Diagraph Ghoul, the Sculler, and the Messenger. That's 16 there. Um, I'm running the two Withered Rats that put you almost at the 20 zombies main, so it's pretty much a zombie deck. Something else that just came to my mind, uh, with Dark Confidant as well, you're losing life, and Rug Delva is a deck as well that doesn't kill you all at once, and that's a very popular deck because most people can build it. Actually, I was searching the Gatherer because it's black-white, correct? And yes. Yes. <laughs> came across Necromancer's Covenant. Oh, dear. <laughs> Which, Isn't that... well, it's when it enters the battlefield, exile all creature cards from target player's graveyard, then put a 2-2 black zombie creature token on the battlefield for each card exiled this way. Then it has a second line, because you keep on complaining that you don't have enough life. So it's zombies you control have lifelink. What about Volta the Archangel? Can we squeeze one of those in? Um, we probably can. We are running the Erdborgs. And, I mean, it's just a really powerful effect. The other thing I really wanted to try to fit in, and they may just be better in the board, is a couple of Liliana. Yeah, I think they are better in the board. Uh, what are you going to be discarding yourself except for grave crawlers? Excess land, Excess I guess. land, yeah. Especially if I'm running multiple herb boards. It seems like if we're going to do zombies in modern, we should be looking for something in modern that we can't do in standard. Something that just pushes it over the top. Bad moon. Yeah, Bad Moon is definitely a thing. Anybody else got any ideas? Bad Moon and Tad Holler Skuller really help. The other thing is the the premium removal spell in the in the format, as you said, is Path to Exile, which shuts off the main reason to play Jaros Messenger and Gravecrawler. So I almost feel like we need a sack outlet. It is the premier removal spell in the format, but it is not the most played. Most people are leaning on Lightning Bolt. Right. Okay. I guess we can put Phyrexian Obliterator in the sideboard. Or even, is there a zombie with protection from white except for the Crusader? Uh, there's the one that's the, both the white and black. It costs one and then uh, the uh, split mana, white and black. Morning Thrall? Ah. Uh, I don't think that's uh, it's, a zombie. 
It's the one that has pro white and pro black. Del Moon Cavalier is that, that the one? That's it. That's it. Is that a zombie? I do believe so. Okay. Oh, there's Sangrophage. There we go. So three three for two black. At the beginning of your upkeep, tap it unless you pay two life. I, was I mean, also if we're going Richard Anarid. Yeah. What about okay. Zealous Persecution? That's definitely something that would go in the board, I think. Along with the super secret tech for beating Twin and uh, and the Kiki Jiki pod. Scoop? No. <laughs> Batwing bat Broom. Uh, Stillmoon Cavalier is three mana. Stromguard Crusader is only two. It's a pump knight. That might we be worth looking at. Uh, other sworn cannonists in the board. Yep. So what about Stromguard Crusader? Did you think of that one? It's 2-1 protection from white. You can pair black to give it flying, 2 black to give it plus 1 plus 0 until end of turn. Yeah, one's currently in my sideboard. Okay, we probably need more than one. It's a good way to beat down some of the pod decks that rely heavily on white. Yes, for sure. I think we also want Reign of Gore in the sideboard. That's black-red, isn't it? Uh, yeah, but it's um, hybrid, isn't it? I don't think so. I think it's just straight black-red. Okay. okay, in that case, I was thinking Everlasting Torment. That also stops people gaining life. And that is hybrid. And it's Richard King Ferguson. Undead Warchief seems like it's really good. Costing much. Yeah. Do we think that... Um, in- the instead of going with any of the lords, I've been trying Bad Moon. Now, if you guys think Bad Moon is bad, go for it. But it's been... It's just so easy and so quick. I mean, drop a zombie turn one, turn two, and then turn three, you usually go discard and bad mood and just smash. Well, it, can also, it also boosts your uh, Dark Confidant. Yeah. So, that's true. Bonus. What were you saying, Rich? Um, how well does this go against... Is the disruption enough to take on Tron? Like, for once they actually assemble the Urzatron, like um, Fulminator Mage to destroy non-basics? Maybe not main board, but like sideboard? That's worth looking at. I mean, it's got the red-black hybrid mana. I, I use it in my living end deck, and it works really well for Tron. It's a zombie, too, is isn't it? it? No, it's Elemental Shaman. But it is black, it still gets the plus, and it's a 2-2 two, two for 3. Wretched Annuid is not in modern. I meant Blind Creeper, I think. Okay. It was a 3-3 three, three yeah, for bl- two, I was thinking of. Yeah. Um, I don't know about Withered Wretch in the main deck. I mean, yes, it destroys Storm. But what else, and like, the reanimator deck that was starting to see play, but what else does it really take care of? Delver decks that use Snapcaster. Um, any that's deck marginal. that uses Kitchen Finks. Also marginal. So that's the thing, though. It fits the theme, and its, its ability is just a useful backup. Plus, there are just so, many, there are just so few good black two-drop zombies. Well, this, the, I was thinking the Crusader might be a better bet in the main deck, because it's more of an aggressive creature and less of a metagame call. Anybody else got any thoughts on that? It's hard to say. I mean, if you feel like there's going to be a white, definitely. If you if you think it's going to be um, graveyard decks, wretch. Yeah. Well, we have to figure out what we're going to send in is the thing. So, I mean, the the base that you've got there seems pretty solid. I mean, we definitely want Drow's Messenger. Uh, Bad Moon Overlords does mean that we're less vulnerable to just having our Lord killed and ruining our combat math. But Kasali Pride Mage is a real card in this format, uh, and it's one that's played more than any other enchantment removal in any other format. So right, it's very possible that our Bad Moon could die to that. So we have to bear that in mind. What uh, What are you finding the weaknesses are? 
some of the things it's had trouble with is anything that can uh, fight the discard. It does rely on the discard for its disruption, and sometimes you have to decide in the early turns whether you're going to make them discard the card that's going to hurt you or whether you're going to put down the aggression. So there's there's sort of a catch-22 there. You have to know what you're playing against to really maximize the deck. Right, so that's going to be a problem in game one. Game one, I when? usually err on the side of discard. Okay. It doesn't make a big difference whether you're on the play or on the draw. Like, if you're on the play and you have a Grave Crawler or a Thought Seed, are you going to put down the Grave Crawler versus whether you would be on the... Or do you still go for the Thought Seas? I would... Hmm. On the play, I, I think you're probably right. Grave Crawler may be better. Yeah, because I mean, again, on the draw... Have the turn one, then turn one Noble, for example. Right. Or the birds that... Uh, or anything to slow down the Birthing Pods deck. And yeah. it also all depends on what else you've got in your hand. If I... If, if I have the turn two Skuller, I'd be more inclined to go with a creature turn one. Um, if I'm setting up turn two Confidant, I'm maybe more more inclined to go with Thoughtseize turn one. I think, though, I, I don't know about that with the Skuller. I think with the Skuller, I'd be more inclined to go for the Discard turn one, because then I know if I want to play the Skuller turn two. Like, if they don't really have anything I care about in their hand, I'm not going to Skuller, I'm going to save it a few turns and then play it. I don't know, is, is that wrong? Am I Am I thinking of that wrong? I wouldn't say I was just envisioning, a, envisioning like a, where you could go creature, scholar, and then the next turn, since almost everything this deck costs one or two, you could go discard and another spell. Okay, yeah. All right. Well, we'll do what we normally do and get you to type up the list, and we'll I'll uh, I'll send it off, or you could even do it. You could send it through the uh, article link. All right. So let's move to random moment of geekery. Adina, go. So for my job, I had to create a Pinterest page. And I wasn't really familiar with Pinterest other than it's this new up-and-coming thing on the Internet. And people say it's it's actually the third largest social network after Facebook and Twitter. So it's kind of the next thing. Um, and it's actually it's interesting because it's used mostly by women who are shopping for clothes right now. But it certainly could be used for anything. And, and a lot of travel. Like, there's a lot of travel stuff on it. So I've created a board on Pinterest. I've created boards for my work, and then I also created some personally. And in poking around, I found um, Nazara at DeviantArt, who has all of these super cool eyeliner, eyeshadow, um, makeup designs based on magic arts, based on Pokemon creatures, based on anime creatures, and just really, really super awesome. So I just really liked her stuff, and that's my moment of geekery, besides the fact that now I'm on Pinterest, and you can follow me on Pinterest if you want. Um, I'm PRS girl there, just like everywhere else. And uh, so, yeah, so this uh, I'll, I'll have a link in the show notes to Nazara, both at DeviantArt and, her Pinterest, and um, all of her pins that have been Basically, she's not on Pinterest, but people who are on Pinterest have been pinning her pictures from DeviantArt onto Pinterest. So there's actually, like, a search that you can do, and so I'll, I'll paste both of those. So from what I've been told, Pinterest is Awful. just a women's social network at this point. Um, in the U.S., it's mostly women. In other countries, it's not. Basically, Pinterest is a pin board. So as you're surfing the Internet, anytime you see a picture you like, you just take it and you pin it on your board. So it's basically, it's visual. It's just a collection of pictures. But the thing is, when you click on that picture, it takes you to whatever website it's from. So as far as shopping, like if you see, like what a lot of women use it for is if they see a dress that they really like, they'll put it on their Pinterest page. And then other people that see it on their Pinterest page can actually click on it and go and buy that dress. But it could certainly be used 
for magic cards as well. And if you search for magic cards, there are actually some magic cards with a little price tag icon on it. And, you know, people are selling magic cards. Um, but it is. I mean, it's just you see the picture of it and you click on it and it goes there. So it's, it's very much a, a visual website. It's consumed my wife's life. <laughs> like, magic consumes mine. She has Pinterest. It's terrible. Okay. <laughs> very interesting. Yeah. Horrible pun. Horrible pun. Right, well, that's what, that's what you get from Horde of Nations. Somewhere well, LSB is weeping in a corner now after hearing that. He is jumping for start. joy right now. I was like, yay, someone's as weird as me. <laughs> I was, I was, I'll admit I was briefly amused by that. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a bit like having sex with Will, really. People are briefly amused by it. Hmm, harsh. <laughs> and you know this why? Can that brief of a moment really have any sort of anything besides briefness? <laughs> it's like the life of a tipsy fly. <laughs> he said tips. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, help me. <laughs> Shut up, Travis, and give us your moment of geek room before Someone's you pop out. <laughs> oh, jeez. All right, Travis, moment of geekery. I've been on a, a horror kick this weekend, watching horror a movies. What kick? World, or, I think he's horror. a horror. I'm a hillbilly <laughs> Yeah, I understand horror. that. <laughs> okay, carry on. So, um, yep. my random moment of the geekery is a webcomic called uh, Face All Red. It's, uh, I wouldn't say it's terrifying, but it's very creepy. A comic that's creepy? Is it like a motion comic, or is it just pictures? Like a comic strip. Okay, interesting. It's not a not continuous one, it's a close, it's a one-shot. It's just a story, uh, it's a comic. Ah, just okay. go to the link and read it. And when you I'm have people sleeping stuff. tonight, just think of the think of the end of the comic. Uh, something tells me I don't want to do that. But that will also be linked in the show notes if you are a fan of horror, he says very carefully. Uh, be sure to check that out. Well, moment of geekery? Uh, I have uh, a friend from uh, the magic community here in Montreal, uh, Francisco oh, Leon I- Valencia who's known as Mexican here, who uh, got married yesterday. So there were, and it was funny because there's two things. One, you had, say, the, uh, it was at the courthouse in Montreal, and you have, you know, the bride side of the uh, hall and then the groom side of the hall. And uh, on his side, it was basically <laughs> pretty much most of the uh, magic community in Montreal, or at least, like, the ones who frequently play in the magic community in Montreal. So that was... a. Uh, that was a good time, and also during the cell phone, uh, during the uh, ceremony, midway through, a cell phone rang. So you know, naturally, as when any cell phone rings, everyone needs to find out whose it is. So three seconds, four seconds, five seconds go by until finally we realize that it's actually his cell phone. So he pulls out of his pocket, looks who's calling, and then answers the phone in the middle of his wedding. Oh, jeez. So we all had a very good laugh as to that. Oh, God. So a uh, shout-out to both him, uh, Mexican, and to uh, Abril, who's his uh, wife. Congratulations. And that was, it's, you know, magic-related, so it's kind of geek geek while not really being a geek moment. Okay. And that's it. 
All right, Rich, moment of geekery, sir. I have two moments of geekery that kind of tie into each other. One is a Entertainment Weekly kind of article website they're doing right now. I just put the link in. It's um, a 32 superhero bracket to find out who's the greatest superhero of all time. It's kind of cool. It's got, like, different categories, and it's kind of like a March Madness bracket for them, and then you get to vote on the superheroes based on different criteria. Is there any way that the top four ends up being anything but Superman, Batman, Spider-Man, and Wolverine? Um, actually, let me see. What's Superman yes. top four? Looking at the bracket, I don't yes, think it can you be. can't because Batman and Wolverine are in the same bracket to reach the top four. Oh, okay, so who's it's coming out of the other Superman, bracket? Superman, Spider-Man, Batman. It's probably going to be either Captain America or Iron Man, I would assume. Oh, no, Captain America. Maybe Captain Deadpool America. because he has a huge fan following. Yeah, but not on Entertainment Weekly. <laughs> maybe, if it, maybe if it was on, like, Kotaku or something, but I have a feeling on Entertainment Weekly. I would say the take is a Dark Horse candidate in that bracket. Over Captain America? Well, I don't think take is making it past Deadpool. Oh, that's true. Where's the, where's the Hulk? Who, who's, who's the Hulk going to be beaten by? Spider-Man. Ooh, that's a tough one. No, oh, it's obviously Spider-Man. Who picks the Hulk over Spider-Man? What's wrong with you? Brain damaged people, people? Yeah, people who don't like Smart Alex. People who hate the fact that he was played by a British actor, masterfully, I might add, in the latest movie. Andrew Garfield's British? Yes, sir. See, you didn't even know that I watching the movie. I didn't even know that. It's like, well, before I knew... Oh, the, like, the only, the only part he cares about, about Andrew Garfield is that he's dating Emma Stone, and therefore he hates him. Who? You need any to watch a British show called The Red Any Riding man Trilogy. in the world hates him because he's dating Emma Stone. Is Emma Stone the one who played Gwen Stacy in that movie? That is correct, sir. Swing! But I'd still prefer um, Anne Hathaway. Is there any way Superman doesn't disagree win this? with you there. Uh, is there any way Super? Uh, yeah, I think I think Batman and Spider-Man could beat Superman. Yeah, I, I agree yeah. with that. But um, I, I still predict Superman's probably going to take it down. Where just because he's the it? classic, but that's just, that's just going to make me sad. I can't find this the on Entertainment Weekly. Superman should win it, darn it. False. Superman's a terrible hero. Yes, I agree. He's way too invulnerable. Which, Which is, is why he should win it somewhere? He's invulnerable to one thing, a green rock that every villain has everywhere. Why? Yeah, the rarest element why? ever from a planet that blew up that anyone can make. Wait, what? Yeah, how does that happen? Horrible. The other half is... I spent a good chunk of my weekend watching the old 1990s X-Men series, because I owned them oh. all on DVD. Oh, with the greatest music, theme music in the history of 90s cartoons. You mean my ringtone? Yes. Okay, you win. It's actually on my phone, on my playlist. Uh, I don't use it as a ringtone, because I have the Doctor Who theme as a ringtone. I can't say that's better, but I respect that. <laughs> There's also the the 90s Spider-Man cartoon, which had an awesome theme. I don't own that, but that is on Netflix, which I do watch. Yeah, I, I've watched it on Netflix. You know what else is on there is the recent Avengers cartoon. Very good. Oh, and the theme music for that is awesome, too. What is it with me and theme music today? It's the theme to your life? Probably. I'm just a walking collection of quotes and theme music. I actually don't have a personality. Travis, did you say you had another moment of geekery? Yes, as for this affront of saying Superman uh, should not win, I'm going to give you an extra moment of geekery. It's How the Dark Knight Should Have Ended. Search for it on YouTube. I'll also give you a link. Okay. Oh, there's a whole lot of those, though. 
Like that's if you're if you're not watching those on YouTube, you're missing out. They're fantastic. Please tell me it just it ends with like Superman flying and saving the world. <laughs> not quite, right? Flying around, killing all the villains, and saving everybody. Well, if you want, um, you guys ever watch Robot Chicken? Yes. You've seen their Purple Rain skit with Boba Fett? No, but I've seen their uh, Darth Vader calls the Emperor to tell him the Death Star blew up skit. <laughs> oh, I need to find that huh? chat. Put that in the chat. That was one of the best videos you'll ever see. What the hell's an aluminum falcon? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. All right, for my moment of geekery, I also have two. Uh, the first one was the video that was made recently with Patrick Stewart dressed up as an <laughs> Olympic ticket scalper. Uh, it also features Simon Pegg from Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz. It's got Arya Stark in it, and it's absolutely freaking hilarious. If you've never seen Patrick Stewart as anyone but uh, Professor X or Jean-Luc Picard, watch this. The man is incredible as a cockney. It's hilarious. Watch it. I will put the link in the show notes. It was on Funny or Die. You also need to watch him on American Dad. He's great there, too. He is very good on American Dad. Did you ever see Dad, his thing on Extras? With no. With Drake's all oh, yeah. amazing. <laughs> he's writing a movie where he's more of a like, James Bond and Professor Xavier, and he convinces everyone to have sex with him. <laughs> <laughs> the second part of my moment of geekery... I'm old, and when I was growing up, Keanu Reeves was not uh, Neo. Keanu Reeves was Bill S. Preston Esquire, or the dude from Speed. No, this was I was this was before Speed, and it has been announced that Bill and Ted is getting a third movie with both Keanu Reeves and Alex Winter, also known as the other guy in Bill and Ted. He was in Lost Boys too. Who was? Alex Winter. Alex Winter. Oh, okay. But he wasn't in much else. He certainly didn't do what Keanu Reeves has done. Well, so, no. There's good news and there's bad news. The good news is it's the third Bill and Ted with the original actors and the creators attached to the movie. The bad news is the director is the guy who did Galaxy Quest. How is that so, bad news? <laughs> have you seen Galaxy Quest? Yes, it's awesome. That's not the only bad thing. No George Carlin. Well, no George Carlin, yeah, but, I mean, you can replace him with Bill Cosby. Are we talking about Tim Allen Galaxy Quest? Yeah. That is fantastic. (laughs) No. Yes, it's one of the the better sleeper movies of all time. Yes, if if by that you mean movies that make me go to sleep. (laughs) Okay, we have established that Chris has no taste in cinema. Let's do a quick I mean, he, poll. He also <laughs> hasn't seen Dark Knight yet, so... I've seen Dark Knight. I haven't seen Dark Knight Rises. Dark Knight Rises. I haven't either. Uh, who, who believes that Galaxy Quest is a terrible movie, apart from me? Wait, is Galaxy Quest the one with Tim Allen, where he goes into space, where they're, they play space people on TV, and then they get sent into space? Yes. And you, what's, the, what's the exact wording as to what you think this movie is? Terrible. See, I have to disagree with that for one very simple reason. It's worse than that. Oh no! It's because the movie has Alan Rickman in it. That is a compelling okay. argument. <laughs> that is fair. That raises it from terrible to just bad. And it's got the guy from Monk playing Scotty. 
it does have Tony Shalhoub in it as well. But it has Alan Rickman, which, you know, it's, just elevates it. Now, admittedly, it also has Justin Long, which, like, brings it down a whole lot. So, you know. All right. So I think we can, I can agree that any part with Alan Rickman in it is, you know, awesome because it's Alan Rickman. And the rest of it is just, dear God, super awful. <laughs> so, no, it's not awful. I'm going to have to, like, venture to each of your houses and educate you on film, aren't I? Are you going to tell me that you think a movie with Justin Long in it is good? I think there are multiple movies with Justin Long in it that is good. Name three. Jeepers Creepers is great. I, I just read another line of the Bill and Ted news. The hope is to make it like Hot Tub Time Machine. Okay, just shoot me down. <laughs> I don't want to live on this planet anymore. <laughs> Galaxy Quest has an 89% rating at Rotten Tomatoes, so I'm not alone. How many people voted? I'm guessing 189 of them worked on the movie. That's not possible. That movie was not good. It's actually 7.2 on IMDb. Okay, so, but then again, what's Napoleon Dynamite rated? Because that movie was so bad, I saw it for free and want my money back. I have never seen it. I, I that. thought that was pretty funny. But then again, I live really, really close to the place in Idaho where it supposedly took place. So that whole culture, like, I've seen it firsthand, so that makes it more funny to me. The only movie, the only movie I thought was worse than Napoleon Dynamite was uh, Friends with Benefits. Or was it no strings attached? They're not the same movie. One of them has Natalie Portman's ass in it, which makes it infinitely more watchable. Wait, I don't know. Mila Kunis' ass is pretty good, too. Are, yes, story. wait. Are those the two movies that don't feature Naked Anne Hathaway in them? Is that what those are? Uh, yeah. Yeah, they are two movies. But one of them does have Natalie Portman, who is almost as good as Anne Hathaway. No, but aren't they like, the, the same thing as the movie that features Anne Hathaway naked? Which is what? I don't know. What's the... Uh, why have I not seen this? What do you mean, why have you not seen this? How are you, uh, what the heck is it called? It's the one with... Um, hold up. I'm looking for it. it. Eleven Other Drugs. Oh, no, I haven't seen that yet. I've been trying to avoid romantic comedies. Okay, but this one has, like, a lot of Naked Anne Hathaway in it. Doesn't Black Swan have naked Natalie Portman and naked Anne Hathaway getting it on? Or is it somebody else? Mila Kunis. Mila Kunis. So, like, so why have I also not seen so, that? So they took, like, they have three movies, essentially, and Anne Hathaway's <laughs> naked in one of them. So the other two girls in the other movies got really jealous, and then apparently they had a lesbian scene in a movie together to, like, make up for it. I think that's what happened here. Okay. But one of the, one of the movies, you see, here's the problem. I saw the one with Natalie Portman in it, which also has Ashton Kutcher. I saw that on a plane and almost got up and walked out. <laughs> then I saw the one with Mila Kunitz and Justin Timberlake on a couch with a friend, a female friend, uh, and that turned into a very entertaining evening. So I actually have fonder memories of that one, even though I had to sit through Justin Timberlake and only got Mila Kunis in return. Ashton Kutcher is marginally less annoying than Justin Timberlake, and Natalie Portman is a whole lot hotter than Mila Kunis. Okay, but that was on plane. But uh, I think I think the thing that you're forgetting is that it was actually easier to ignore the second movie. That's why you have the fonder memories of it. Uh, it's very difficult to ignore Natalie Portman in underwear, actually. No, right. I'm okay. talking about the Mila Kunis one. You were saying you had fonder memories of that, but oh yes, that one yeah. was easier to ignore. But if you want to see Natalie Portman's butt, you can just watch Your Highness. 
which is pretty entertaining. And she's not wearing underwear in it. That too. She is wearing a very old-fashioned um, steel phong. Hey, remember when we spoke about magic? <laughs> Isn't this like Good your time. moment of geekery or something? Isn't like magic time over? I think we've got into moment of fantasy at the moment, actually. Let's move to shout-outs. Uh, as always, we'll start with the guest for shout-outs. Rich, go for it, sir. Um, shout-out to all my guys at Outpost 2000. Um, have a lot of fun there. It's my local game store. Um, shout-out to you guys, one of my favorite podcasts to listen to. Shout-out to Aww. Jack, because he's not here, and that makes me sad. But that's all I got. Oh, and shout-out to Thank Clues and my buddy John, who we are starting a podcast together. Really? Yep. As in Dr. Science? As in Aaron Dr. Lackey Science. Day? Him and my buddy John from our local game store. We have a Skype meeting set up on Tuesday. Awesome. Well, shout-outs. Uh, to Francisco, again, for getting married. It's pretty awesome. And that's it. Short and sweet. Uh, Adina, shout-outs? Shout-out to Martinet and Card Kitty um, for their contributions to our website. Shout-out to Josh, of course, for being my partner in crime in all of the magic dealings over the last few weeks. Um, and uh, shout out to Lee Fisher, who passed his judge test the same day I did, about an hour earlier than I did, actually. And um, the last two game days in a row, it's been him and me for first and second place, and he's beaten me both times. So shout out to him. Travis, shout out. Uh, shout out to Jason Clark, who goes um, at Real Evil Genius on Twitter. And I hope I don't butcher his name, but Andrew McGreeny, or A underscore McGreeny on Twitter. Both yep. of who do a fantastic job of keeping me uh, amused throughout the week. Yeah, i got to start following that Andrew McGreeny guy. He seems like he's pretty funny. He's, he's also a pretty cool guy. He posts some great pictures on Facebook, too, of adorable little animals. That seems like something I would not be interested in. All right, and for me, uh, first and foremost, shout out to the Little Ninjas at uh, Midgard Gaming, two of whom top-aided uh, game day, which was awesome to see. Uh, also want to give a shout out to Steve Craig and uh, David Bishop, uh, who got married uh, over the past couple of weeks, and to Glenmoss, who's getting married very soon. Three of the community getting hitched, also awesome to see. Shout-outs to Scotty Mac and Carlos and Carlos's girlfriend, Becca. Uh, we had a hilarious time streaming last night. Uh, I, they played some modern, and then I jumped in, and we had a, a fun-as-hell EDH game. Uh, some very not-safe-for-work content on that stream, so don't watch it at work or around adults, or humans, actually. Uh, I won the EDH game with my Mistform Ultimus deck, which was absolutely hilarious. The whole thing was just great fun, definitely worth watching. Shout out to all my Twitter followers. I've been having a, a great time interacting with uh, people recently and just asking questions and getting some opinions on stuff. It's been really fun to see. Uh, this is a first for me, but I really should have listened to John Medina's advice earlier and started just unfollowing people who annoy me instead of keeping them on there in case they get offended that I unfollowed them. It really makes Twitter a lot more enjoyable when you cut out the noise. Now, the noise Much can more. be some of the most interesting things. Well, you know, there's a certain degree of annoyance I will put up with for entertainment value, but when it's more annoyance than entertainment, that's what it needs to get cut. Uh, shout out to KYT for being KYT. Uh, shout out to Team Canada, who I'm sure are going to do really well at uh, the World Magic Cup. If they don't, they will not be allowed in back in the country. <laughs> are you going to stand guard shout at the border? Uh, uh, no, they don't let me near the border. Shout out to my local community 
anyone who's been listening to this podcast for a while knows how hard I've been working. Knows how hard we've all been working to get players to events and to get wizards to notice us. November 17th, we have our first PTQ in Newfoundland, I think ever, but definitely in the last few years. It's going to be absolutely amazing. I am super stoked. I'm really, ups- really excited that we finally got recognized and that we finally got this going. And uh, hopefully we can just keep getting them. There will be someone from Newfoundland at the Pro Tour in Montreal. Absolutely fabulous. Mm, not unless a whole bunch of people from Montreal decide to fly to Newfoundland and take that Pro Tour invite away. They won't. They'll lose. Uh, but we actually were having this discussion, and I believe it's not the first PTQ in Newfoundland. Well, these eight. Really? We're, we're, we're unsure, because one of our buddies did play someone who was from Newfoundland. Now, whether... We don't know if it was because they won a PTQ or because they happened to get an invite another way. Or if they were still living in Newfoundland at the time. Uh, they they, they were. Uh, they were because uh, it was back, it was uh, Rob Anderson, who it was back uh, four or five years ago, I believe, who was in the 03 bracket and happened to end up playing someone who was from Newfoundland who they he didn't have the cards to assemble, he just wanted the free trip. So he ended up making it That's there. an urban myth. That's an urban myth. Um, I heard that story, and the guy was not from Newfoundland. Shout out to uh, London 2012 Olympics. The uh, closing ceremony was amazing. So many nostalgic moments in there. Really enjoyed it. Like Definitely girls. worth it. Uh, that was probably one of the least exciting parts. They had the flipping Who. The Who. And Fat Boy Slim. It was awesome. And Russell Brand singing I Am the Walrus. Like, this was just heaven on a planet. Heaven on a, the planet. Heaven on Earth. That's what I was trying to say. All right. Uh, I have no more shout-outs. So, on that note, we'll wrap this baby up. For Will, for Adina, for Travis, and for our guest Rich, this is Chris saying join us again next time for another exciting episode of Horde of Notions. Hell rider. Right, uh. Hook em horns.